You're tuning in to Neurodiversity, a podcast for neurodivergent adults and the people who love them. Please note that this podcast does not substitute medical or professional diagnosis and advice. What's up, lovers and friends? Welcome back to the show. Um, I don't really have much of a kind of intro, catch-up, social justice thing to say today. Um, I guess other than wash your fucking hands, just please wash your hands, like, at bare minimum. Like, there's just shit going around, like, just now is not a good time to be nasty, okay? Wash your hands. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, preach on masks or anything, but, you know, use masks at your own discretion, put that PPE on, just be safe, be thoughtful. Um, it's scary outside, (laughs) y'all. It's fucking scary outside. Um, all right, so just, like, jumping into the topic, I really want to talk about self-diagnoses and just kind of my stance on it and why, and so, Part of that explanation of why we're really going to go into my experience of seeking diagnosis as an adult over the last year. Um, So I think I talked about this maybe in the intro episode. I am formally diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I've also been diagnosed with anxiety and I am self-diagnosed as autistic, right? So let's get into that. So self-diagnosis just means you diagnosed yourself, essentially, uh, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And, you know, a formal diagnosis, you would go to a mental health professional who has those qualifications to do that work. All right. Much easier said than done. So there's like this major, you know, internet trend, social media trend of therapists and mental health professionals Um, You know, making TikToks, making reels about ADHD, about autism, things like that. There's also a lot of people sharing their own experiences, similar to what I'm doing, right, Um, on the internet. And and people are kind of collectively being like, okay, yeah, me too. Like, I've experienced that too. Yeah, like, I've had these similar difficulties too. Um, And I think that that can be very beautiful. Um, So like most things, I typically uh, don't have very like hard stances, or at least I can see like multiple perspectives of those things. Um, So with that, like I feel that having this information accessible to help advocate for yourself, to help put your life into context, to... um, even maybe be aware of something that was never on your radar. Like autism was never something that was on my radar um, until a little over a year ago. Um, ADHD, like that's something that has been on my radar like here and there, but I've kind of like talked myself out of it. I was like, oh no, like you would have known by now. Like you would have just figured it out. Like someone would have told you, right? Um, That's not always true. But yeah, so those things really haven't been on my radar, but since learning about them, I've been able to very much contextualize my life experiences and make more sense of them, like release shame um, and really start to have more compassion and even flexibility in how I approach my day-to-day life, um, how I approach my difficulties and deficits, you know, um, and really like leaning into 
this identity and not feeling like I have to hide things. Um, so there's lots of secrecy, I think, that goes on in many um, autistic adults or autistic female adults um, who are, you know, able to camouflage pretty well, um, or they're like socially adapted, air quote. Um, there's a lot of that work going on internally to keep up that facade um, to the best of our ability. And it's very exhausting, right? Um, and so I actually lost my train of thought. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's like, yeah, there's, there, we, we can do this. So we, we can um, compensate. And, and with that compensation, I think sometimes there's not even awareness or oftentimes there might even be awareness of, oh, like this is autism or this is ADHD or this is Tourette's or this is dyspraxia or like whatever. Cause like, first of all, half of us haven't even heard of some of those things or many of us haven't heard of some of those things. Um, and then, you know, with autism and just the, the general zeitgeist around that was very white, very male, very rigid, very, um, you know, atypical, I guess. And, you know, Sheldon, I guess, you know, Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Let's just go with him. Um, so that's kind of like what the face of autism has looked like, um, you know, and we haven't really talked about female um, phenotypes, so like female presentations. And honestly, like there's not a whole lot of research. Those are things that are constantly in development. Um, and so, yeah. So anyway, I'm digressing a little bit, but I think it's wonderful that people are speaking up um, so that we can miss, you know, a lost generation of people who are can be affected by these uh, conditions, right? and who are present day living with difficulties related to these conditions. At the same time, um, I do believe that there are cutoffs for things um, to some extent. Um, and I do believe, you know, if if everyone can then be this thing, then is it even a thing, you know? Um, you know, if everyone's a brown cat, then do we have any gray cats? Like, you know, can we, can we do that? Um, and so, I think that, yeah, that is important to kind of keep in mind, okay, well, where does this begin and where does this end? Like, where are the thresholds for these things? Um, what's diagnostically appropriate? Um, what's like clinically like found in like empirical evidence? Um, things like that. And even with research, I don't want to get too off topic, but even with research, I mean, there is like debate, you know, it's not just like, oh, I found this study and this is like, this is the Bible, this is golden. Like, it's like, okay, I found this study and I guarantee you, you can probably find studies that say something different. Um, so it's it's really about learning how to decipher through information, what tools you're going to use to even do that. And the reality is like the general public typically do not possess those skills or they're at least, they're at least not like, using them in a day-to-day -day basis, right? And so like, that's really important then to have someone who is gonna really look at these skills and really look at this from like, uh, a, like a bird's eye clinical view and put like different pieces together. Um, and and the, someone who's able to do a differential diagnosis. So when I say like things get kind of fatty or they're a fad, like you'll hear people, they watch a TikTok and they're like, oh my God, like I can't focus at work. And I, um, I don't know, I can't focus at work and like I keep leaving things at home. Maybe I have ADHD. <laughs> maybe, but maybe not. Um, there's a lot more that goes into that, right? And any any sort of like symptomology or symptom 
in isolation does not equate a diagnosis, right? So, you know, there's multiple criteria that needs to be met. You know, you really need to look at the context, you need to look at the timeline of these things. You need to rule out other things um, to then say, okay, this is ADHD or this is autism, right? Um, so that's kind of how I feel. I feel that like self-diagnoses, it can be, it, it's like a knife, <laughs> I guess. It's kind of like a knife. Like, I mean, like a knife can be really helpful. It can also be harmful. It depends on how you use it. Um, so that's just kind of my stance on that. And I've honestly felt a lot of anxiety um, internally around being self-diagnosed and coming out here to even really present this um, information or um make this claim that I have this identity and like share my experience, right? So I've been very nervous about like getting pushback from that, which I'm sure at some point in time I will, it's fine. I'm learning that like, I don't have to be liked by everyone and that everyone has to agree with me. That's a work in progress. Um, but anyway, so yeah, like I've had a lot of just kind of internal turmoil if I'm even going to be honest here and like put that out in this context of I am autistic. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've obviously decided to put up the podcast as here it is, you're listening to it. Um, and the reason why for me to kind of ease some of my doubts is that I do have these skills to make the diagnosis. Um, so, I mean, as you already know, like I'm a licensed uh, independent social worker. I practice clinically. Um, so I have been trained in differential diagnoses. Um, I understand how to work the DSM. I understand how to read all the things in between, like the criteria for a diagnosis. Like there are other pages of like symptomologies and impacts and things like that. Um, and 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 again, differential diagnoses that the DSM will help you with. Um, also, the DSM itself is not like the Bible. It's not the gold standard. It's a guideline. Um, and so, it takes a lot of clinical judgment. But anyway, so like I have that. Um, I am very much into, into reading data and uh, anyone who knows me will tell you that. My abilities to uh, just research topics extensively. Um, and I'm also very interested in not just like reading data, but also um, evaluating said data. Um, I, I can only do so much as I'm one person and there's so, so much data out there, right? Um, but I do have a few things that I'm typically looking for. Like if I'm looking at a research article to say, okay, hey, you know, how relevant is this? How replicable is this? Um, you know, if there are instruments used, does it even talk about like the consistency, the reliability, all that stuff? Y'all probably don't care about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, I can do those things. I'm an autism clinical specialist, so I've had, um, quite a bit of training. I'm not going to call myself an expert by any means, but just like quite a bit of training in um, autism and also ADHD, but more in autism um, and how to diagnose that and in adults and in female populations. Um, I'm also a trauma specialist. Um, so I can also kind of like tease out trauma and help to like see where that's at and like teasing it out. That's a total different episode, but I have some research questions and things around even that kind of perceptive that perception. Um, but yeah, so I have those skills. Um, I also just kind of like in my own practice, in my own work, as I went up really early on, as I started to look up this stuff and started to understand it, I started to see these things in my clients. And they were typically like clients that I had been working with for a while. We were just having a really difficult time um, of like integrating things or really like making progress and kind of often like maybe felt at an impasse. I feel like 
and even kind of, I'm very much like a feedback kind of person. So um, I, I need to know like how you feel about this. Like I just can't assume, like I don't know all the time, like if this is helpful or if it's not helpful. So like I'm typically like, or frequently, I mean like, I you know asking for feedback from my clients about, you know, our conversations or our interventions and things like that. And so, you know, some of them, yeah, we did kind of feel like we had an impasse where we weren't really like necessarily improving um, day-to-day functioning or like impacts in life, but also this space was so helpful just to kind of like have support and, you know, kind of like that um, empathic listening in and of itself or active listening can be a therapeutic, a therapeutic tool. Um, so that's kind of where we were at. And and, and, and so like a, a number of those clients, I referred out to get diagnosed and they were diagnosed. Um, but that was, that was actually for ADHD though, just to be clear, I don't want to be facetious there. Uh, but that was in relation to ADHD. But my point is, as I do, I do feel that I have a good clinical eye for these things and that I am taking into account a lot of subsequent information. Um, so not just DSM criteria, but also like commonalities that are typically found in these populations um, and different um, um I don't want to say gender because that's not the right word, um, but different like sexual experiences. So like, you know, male at birth versus female at birth, things like that. Um, so I won't keep going on and on and on about that. But yeah, I felt like I had those tools and based on that and then me being the one who actually lived my life and have been able to learn so much about it and put things into context, um, I was like, okay, yeah, this, this really does fit. Like I could have like, you know, this diagnosis, which makes sense, or I could have like a shit ton of other diagnoses that like are just all there like so it's just like that's the, that's another thing we're looking for a lot of times in a good diagnostic interview is like how many other mental health diagnoses have you had and typically if you've had a lot of those other issues and they correspond with like commonalities found in the ASD community then a diagnosis of ASD may be much more helpful or it may be um more effective so that's where that is. So that's how I feel about self-diagnosis. And actually, I think I'm just going to leave it here and make this a part one and then make the medical part a part two. I Until next time. <laughs> I don't know. Bye. I am back. Postscript, because I always got more to say. It has been almost a year since I recorded this podcast episode that you just listened to and the next two that I'm releasing. Um, yeah, more on that later. But I, I had to re-listen to the work before I actually launched it into the world. And so I just wanted to come on afterwards to just talk about like the validity of sub-threshold scores. Um, and so what that means is just like if you don't meet the specific criteria in different domains, to be diagnosed with, let's say, autism, um, then you may still have different traits or experiences that are related to autism without being able to have an autistic diagnosis. And this is true of, like, pretty much most conditions, like, especially, like, in the mental health world. Like, you can have, like, subclinical depression. Like, you can have other types of subclinical um, issues. And so, it's still important and it still impacts your life even if you don't get a diagnosis. Um, so just keep in mind that like diagnoses first and foremost serve insurance companies um, so that they, you know, they can 
justify paying or not paying for said services on someone requests. Um, within the mental health community, like diagnoses can be helpful to kind of see like patterns and like methodized ways for treatment. Um, at the same time, like from what I've experienced, many of the many great clinicians that I know, <clears throat> excuse me, many great clinicians that I know, they, um, they're very eclectic and they can pull from different models and use different things with their clients. Um, so anyway, not to make this too long, but I just want to say that, yeah, if you have autistic traits or ADHD traits or other neurodivergent traits and co-relating traits, but you don't meet, um, that diagnostic threshold, it still impacts your life. And so people with subclinical traits can still have higher depression, anxiety, social anxiety, OCD, um, than like others who don't have those subclinical traits or they have lower subclinical traits. Um, so it still impacts your life. In fact, some people are calling it, um, they call it BAP. It's the broad autism phenotype. Um, so it pretty much just says what I just said that autism is, it's, it's very heterogeneous, very broad condition. Um, it can show up in many different ways. And sometimes people don't meet the criteria for that diagnostic threshold. Um, however, you may still want to, you know, work with a counselor or work with a coach or something of like of that nature, you know, check out that, you know, health condition that may be comorbid to autism, because even though you have subclinical traits, you may still have a higher likelihood to experience that physical condition. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I put that out there. Um, I didn't want to leave anyone out or minimize people's experiences. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I try to go by the phrase, if you know better, you do better. So there you go. All right. Talk to you later.